0: Welcome back to Informed and Inflamed, where we seek to inform our minds with truth in order to inflame our hearts with love for God and neighbor. I'm Brad Owens, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another episode. In this episode, we're going to discuss a new book I've been reading called God of All Things, which is written by Andrew Wilson. The subtitle is Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World. And this book is really fun and fascinating. I'm not even finished with it yet. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it, but I couldn't help going ahead and talking about it. It's got 30 chapters in it, each of which are only four or five pages long. But each chapter is about something ordinary and seemingly mundane. Things like mountains, dust, stones, tools, rain, wind, bread, trees, and the sun, just to name a handful. And what is so neat about this book, though, is how extraordinary you come to see that these very ordinary things are. In each chapter, Andrew Wilson weaves together Scripture with historical and contemporary insights as he considers each of these ordinary objects that are mentioned in the Bible. Things that our eyes would typically quickly pass over as we're reading our Bibles become filled with rich significance and meaning in our growing understanding. Each chapter is fun and creative and yet full of theological importance at the very same time. After reading a few chapters, your interest is piqued as you anticipate all the other chapters. You're eager to find out how he unpacks the significance of an object like bread or honey or wind and ends up connecting it to Christ somehow, and not in a way that seems forced or strained. All in all, it's a really enjoyable and beneficial read. And what I love most about it is the way that each chapter highlights the profound richness of the scriptures and the purposeful artistry of the God who gave us his scriptures. So what I want to do in the rest of this episode is just take a brief look at two things he deals with in this book, pigs and earthquakes. But hopefully this whets your appetite to get your hands on a copy of this book and discover more. So first, let's talk about pigs. The chapter on pigs is one of the funniest chapters in the book, I'd be surprised if you can make it through this chapter without chuckling a time or two. Andrew Wilson opens this chapter talking about two things. First, how disgusting pigs are, and yet how delightful they are. He calls this the pig paradox. And as he mentions in the book, pigs are disgusting creatures. They roll around in mud, they eat their own bodily waste, and they smell something horrid. Apparently, I didn't know this before reading it, if you get enough pigs together, you can smell the stink from miles away. It's pretty gross. And yet, pigs are delightful. Without pigs, our lives would be deprived of the glories of sausage balls, a good hot dog, honey-baked ham, and most of all, bacon. Throw a couple strips of bacon on anything and it makes it better, right? Right? But Andrew Wilson, he summarizes what he calls the pig paradox with these words. He says, Bizarrely, if you were to create a smell spectrum from the vilest stench to the most enticing aroma, pigs would find themselves at both ends of it, depending on whether it was before or after they died. How can something that smells so bad when it is alive smell so great when it isn't? How can death transform something from filthy and untouchable to aromatic and delightful? Or to put it another way, through death, these smelly creatures become savory creations. He then goes on to discuss how pigs were off limits to God's people in the Old Testament dietary laws. They were considered unclean for Israel. These ritual distinctions between clean and unclean animals in the Old Testament were given so that God's people might learn to make moral distinctions between right and wrong, according to God's Word. The distinction between clean and unclean animals was also symbolic of a distinction between people, those who are clean, not in themselves, of course, but because they have been made clean by God's grace. But it's a distinction between those who are clean and those who are unclean, those who are still in their sins and under God's righteous judgment. And as Andrew Wilson points out, this is made clear in Acts 10, where Peter has a vision of a sheet full of unclean animals and is told to eat them. Peter objects, but verse 16 says that this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. In verses 19 and 20, we read, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter, because of the connection between this vision of unclean animals and these unclean Gentiles who come looking for him, goes along with them. And the result is that the Holy Spirit is poured out on a group of Gentiles. Through faith in the saving death and resurrection of Christ, those who are unclean in God's sight Are made clean in Christ. And in the words of Andrew Wilson again, he says, It is the pig paradox again. Death, in our case, the death of Christ, has taken that which was filthy and untouchable and made us aromatic and delightful by the grace of God. In Christ, pigs become bacon. So Gentiles, like dirty pigs, are not fit for God's presence. And yet, through the death of Christ, we become a pleasing aroma and a delightful fragrance to God, and we are welcomed permanently into His presence all because of Jesus. Like I said, I hope you now have seen a tiny little glimpse of how fun and creative and theologically rich this book is. It's an awesome little book, and I highly recommend it. But that's what he says about pigs. And now let's think about earthquakes. So he opens his chapter on earthquakes with Exodus 19, verse 18, which says this, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. He then observes a pattern in Scripture and asks a question. He says, When the earth is visited by its king it shakes. Why? Now, before he answers the question, he explores a number of the associations that come along with earthquakes in Scripture. In the Bible, earthquakes highlight important themes such as the greatness of God, the voice of God, the glory of God, and the fear of God. And Wilson points out how the same word is used in Exodus 19 and 20 for the quaking of the earth and the quivering of the people. And this connection between quaking and quivering can also be seen in Isaiah's vision of the Lord in Isaiah 6. In verses 4 and 5, Isaiah records this. At the sound of their voices, here he's talking about the seraphim who are praising God, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. So there's quaking. The doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then he says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. So there's quivering. He says, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, to answer the question of why the earth shakes and quakes so often when God's presence is manifested, Wilson first points out that when we read of God's glory in Scripture, this doesn't only refer to God's beauty and magnificence, although it certainly includes that. It also gets the idea of, in the words of Andrew Wilson, how weighty, heavy, and substantial God is. Now, we all know what it starts to feel like when we carry something heavy for a long time. Fitness gurus and those who work out regularly also know the shaky feeling our muscles get when we've put them through a good strenuous workout anyone who has tried to maintain a plank position for very long knows that after the shaking eventually the muscles simply give out at some point they just buckle to the pressure and when the earth shakes in scripture because of god's presence it is because the earth as massive as it is is finite And the finite world cannot contain or hold up under the infinite God. God's glory is too weighty and substantial to contain. So the earth quakes in response to the uncontainable glory of God. Andrew Wilson again points to two other significant places in Scripture where earthquakes occur. He says... The two most important and hope-filled events in the history of the world, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, were both accompanied by earthquakes. So, earthquakes tell us something significant about God's glory and grace. And lastly, let me share one more thing with you. I'm sticking with Andrew Wilson's words a lot in this episode because he, he just says things so well. In this last quote from his book, he's talking about the cataclysmic disruption that occurs when we first encounter the one true God and are transformed by that encounter. Here's Andrew Wilson again. He says, When people encounter the true God, they experience a self-quake. That's one way you can tell if you've met Israel's God or simply a figment of your imagination. A made-up God will leave your world undisturbed, conveniently aligned with your priorities without displacing anything, because ultimately you are more glorious than it is. The real God, however, will land in the middle of your life like an elephant crashing through the ceiling, displacing your sin, changing all your priorities, and forcing you to reorient yourself around the weight of glory." Wow, I love that quote. It's probably my favorite one from the book. But when we lay hold of God's grace, or even better, when God's grace grabs us, we are forever changed. If we have experienced the saving grace of God in Christ, we will inevitably begin changing. Oftentimes the growth and change happen much slower than we'd like. But when God's grace penetrates our hearts, Our affections and priorities and decisions all begin getting disrupted in a good way. We can no longer go on living as we did before we knew Jesus. The beginnings of a new life in Christ have taken root. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15 says that Christ died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for Him who died for them and was raised again. God's grace begins to loosen our heart's attachment to self and draws it to live for Christ, for His glory and reputation in the world, and for the good of those who do not yet know Him. If we are in Christ, although this glorious work of God's has begun in our hearts, we all know there's still so much growth left to experience, so much change that is still needed. Our need to be graciously disturbed by God's Spirit is always there. But thankfully, the Spirit is faithful to continue His priority rearranging and affection-transforming work in our hearts. If you haven't yet experienced a self-quake in response to encountering God, my hope and my prayer is that you will someday very soon. And for those of us who have, may we continue to cry out for God's ongoing work of transformation. And may He use us to spread and extend His glory and grace throughout the world. I hope you've enjoyed thinking about quiver-inducing earthquakes and stinky pigs in this episode of Informed and Inflamed. If you want your mind blown even more by Andrew Wilson, grab a copy of his book, God of All Things. And from now on, may you be reminded of the transformation that comes through the death of Christ every time you enjoy a tasty strip of bacon. Thanks for joining me for this episode, and I hope you'll join me again next time.